Greetings and welcome to Visibility with your host, Dr. Donna Maria Culbreth. You may call us to share your thoughts, pose a question, or to give a general comment by dialing area code 323-642-1562. And now, Dr. Culbreth. Greetings, everyone, and welcome to Visibility for Wednesday, April 4th, 2018. I'm your host, Dr. Donna Maria Culbreth. I hope everyone's having a wonderful week. It is much of a somber day to, um, today as we focus on the 50th anniversary of the late Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King's assassination. And Dr. King has done so much for us to bring us to where we are today. And I guess the biggest question that comes to my mind on a day like today is, you know, where will we be without Dr. King? He paved the path, laid the foundation upon which we must continue building so that we can reach higher ground. And as he noted in his um, last speech, was, which is so poignant and so moving, is when he focused in on, on how getting to the promised land is important and what it looked like for him. So tonight, we're going to focus in on advancing and living the dream of Dr. King in the millennium. And I think it's so important that we take the time to reflect, consider where we are today in society and all the social ills, how it seems like sometimes like we're trying to go back 50 years and we know that we are not ever going to let that happen. We can't go back. We won't go back. We will not go back in time to the way things were. We can only go forward and we can do that together in unity. One of the most memorable, I believe, uh, comments that I heard today about Dr. King was from Andrew Young, who's the former mayor of um, Atlanta, and it's, of course, civil rights leader who was there on that balcony with Dr. King when he was shot. And he said this, in quote, Africans say you ain't dead until the people stop calling your name, end quote. Then he went on to say, Quote, that bullet only released his spirit, and it released his spirit all over the world, end quote. And I believe that is so very true. Because if you think about it, Dr. King's message of love and unity coming together, you know, doing away with the hatred and treating people unjustly in an unfair manner with unjust issues and what we had to deal with, it seems like he, he changed the world. He did. He made a difference. He was a change that we needed at that time in history to help us keep on keeping on and to move forward. Because there was so much between black people being hosed down like, like animals or putting dogs on them, being brutally beaten. You go back and look at some of the footage from that era, and you can find a lot of it on YouTube and other sites on the, on the web to see what black people went through was just horrible, horrible to to even watch, let alone imagine. You know, I remember my mom would tell us, you know, 
her stories of, of what happened and how he did sit-ins and the racism that they endured and to imagine to see how black people were treated solely because of the color of their skin. It's just heartbreaking to see that. And to what's even more heartbreaking is to know that 50 years later, we're still dealing with all of these racial issues in this country. And it's sad because for me, and in my opinion, racism is about ignorance, spread, spread from ignorance. And I think insecurity and a sense of inferiority. And the sad part of it all is that 50 years later after Dr. King's assassination, the struggle continues. We see so much with the inequality. We see religious persecutions, people being treated disparately or horribly or ostracized because of the religious, their religious beliefs, practice, and customs, who they love, the color of their skin. So, yes, we have a long way to go. And this is why it's so very important for us to continue to advance and live Dr. King's dream. Because we, you can't give up. America needs to be what it should be. And that's a country that focuses on equality for all. That everyone has, is given every opportunity to live and pursue the American dream without being treated differently because of how they look. So tonight, guys, as we move on and and go through and talk about Dr. King, what his legacy has meant and how he's changed the world and the importance and value of why we must continue pushing forward to make a difference in the lives of everyone and to be the voice of reason and common sense and intelligence for the society we live in. One of Dr. King's quotes that I really loved, you guys, was, this life's most persistent and urgent question is, what are you doing for others? And I think that's important. Uh, And the question is, you know, what are you doing? What are all of us doing to advance and live Dr. King's dream, to keep his dream alive, to move us forward on equal footing? It's sad when you think of the beautiful messages, the speeches, And how much Dr. King sacrificed and gave of himself to make a difference for us. In a time and era, especially when we look back at, you know, the civil rights era, we're looking at the black pride, black power era, when we were all focusing on black being beautiful. And despite keeping the momentum up to keeping everybody motivated to knowing that we were going to get there and that things were going to get better, we went through hell. We lived through hell. It was horrible. And I'm telling you, if you have not already done so, then I strongly recommend that you go through some of the archives. Is the airplane going over my head again? Uh, Archives and listen to and watch and learn. Read some of Dr. Dr. King's speeches. I have several books with his speeches in them. And it will enlighten you and lift you in such a way that it'll just blow your mind. So when we go back and we look, you know, here's Dr. King fighting for us for equality. We had the Montgomery bus boycott. We had all the speeches, the rallies in March on Washington. We were going through an era where we would be, where black people were being treated so horrible in society. 
And it was during this era that not only did we have Dr. King for, you know, sustaining us and motivating us to keep us going, we had the music. The music in that era was phenomenal. It had meaning. It had purpose. It lifted. It inspired. There's an old saying that music washes away from the soul the dust of everyday life by Arabic. And that is so true. Songs from that era which made a difference. For example, Curtis Mayfield and the Impressions, people get ready. It's deeply moving because it's just saying to people get ready. And I take that song and relate it to Dr. King talking about getting to the promised land where he said he'd been to the mountaintop and he'd seen the promised land. And for me, that song, um, people get ready is, you know, like, hey, come on, get ready. Let's get all the way to the promised land. Keep up the faith. Don't give up. Because we had fought a harsh, horrible, horrendous battle. But we knew that we were going to get where we needed to be. And that was the beauty of what Dr. King stood for. But we also look at songs like, um, what was it? Say It Loud, I'm Black and I'm Proud by James Brown. Give more power to the people by the whites. Give the people what they want by the old days. My People Hold On by Eddie Kendricks. Respect Yourself by the Staple Singers. These songs like lifted and carried us through a most difficult time. Then we had to be Young, Gifted, and Black by Nina Simone and The Love Train by the OJs. Those are named a few of the songs. And those songs, my listeners, made it possible for people to keep on keeping on with pride Dignity and a hope that even despair could not quell. Yes, there was a time when music empowered people to empower a movement. We had so much pride and spirit and unity. And it was that unity that ushered in change. And that change was was so needed because during that time, you have to remember, when when the black power and black is beautiful and black pride all out there. People, you saw black people wearing their afros, the shikis, they're wearing their natural hair. They were proud of being black. And when we say proud of being black, we're talking about being black people with their hair, their skin. They, and I just thought it was so amazing. I remember my dad used to wear the shikis all the time. My mom used to make them for him and he loved his tashikis, the shikis. So the error was so important. We experienced so much, especially when it came to just equality, voting, jobs, housing, um, the poverty issue. We went through it. That's just no better way to say that we, we really went through it. But it was doing that era too also, and I remember it was so important. Malcolm X, during a speech, noted that out of all the people, women rather, in this world, he noted that black women were the most disrespected, unprotected, and neglected women in America. That's the quote. And in the millennium, and it helps, it makes you wonder, guys, because here we are in the millennium, 50 something years later, when black women are still that group, in that, you know, that group of black women are still disrespected, unprotected, and neglected in a degree in America. And we have to understand that they have voices, they have visibility, they have worth, and they have purpose. 
there was many, many black women who were trailblazers and torchbearers during that civil rights era, who fought, who struggled, who went to bat, who, who organized, coordinated, provided meals, opened their homes up, did so much during that era. So when we start looking at not just the black women, but our girls as well, what they went through from the four little girls who were killed in the church it was bombed, to how we were treated to the first little girl who going to the school and integration to uh, the issues we went through. We saw so much where we were treated so terribly, where from Emmett Till to people being lynched, to being beaten, to just disappearing to a clan, posing threats and everything. It was a time in history that was a living hell for black Americans in this country. Reverend Dr., the late Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, because of his efforts, because of his ability to say enough is enough, and his, him taking a stand to bring about the justice that we deserved, he made the difference. So I say this again. When you're thinking about it, just ask yourself, where would we be if it were not for Dr. Mar- Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King? <clears throat> How far would we have come? How much more difficult would the struggles have been without him paving that path and laying that foundation upon which we could build and grow? It's important to think that right now in the millennium, we need to think beyond the here and now. We need to think more about the future. And when I say that, we we need to focus on where we are going, how we're going to get there. And one of the most poignant quotes for me is Dr. King. And before I even get there, is that we have to learn to think differently. We have to think differently in order to get to the places where we need to go. We need to think about how we can strategically align ourselves and come together in unity, come up with plans focusing on saving our children, moving our society forward, and where we see more unity. So for me, when it comes to that thinking part, there was one one quote of Dr. King was this, quote, rarely do we find men who are willingly engaged, who will willingly engage and solid thinking. There's an almost universal quest for easy answers and half-baked solutions, and that's true if you think about it. Nothing pains some people more than having to think, end quote. And that's true. Thinking is so crucial in your planning, your organizing, and all that you do. And in Dr. King's essay, The Purpose of Education, which was published in the Room Tiger in 1946, he went on to talk about how education should equip us with certain skills that teach us to think objectively um, and effectively. To, and he also went on to note how thinking is one of the hardest things in the world and that the most important thing for education to do, it should cause us to rise above, and I say this in quotes, beyond the horizon of allegiance of half-truth, prejudices, and propaganda. And it should teach us, or should have taught us, how to weigh and consider to discern the truth from the false, you know, the fact from the fiction, the real from the, you know, relevant from the irrelevant. 
the real from the unreal, end quote. But it's so much, it was so much more important for men and women alike to think intensively. And to be able to think intensively was some, you know, something that was just a must. But Dr. King was really smart in noting that education, you know, and this is really important, so make sure you're with me here. He talked about, like, the first function of education being, you know, to teach men to think. But he also noticed that the whole purpose of education is not just to teach them to think, but it's dangerous. If you can think about this, if education stops there, it can be the most dangerous force in society because some of the greatest criminals in society have been men who possess the power of concentration and reasons, but they had no morals in quote. So he noticed that it's not enough just to power, just to focus in on con- the power of concentration, but to have worthy objectives to focus in on. And that's something we have to remember when we talk about education. For all of you who are going to college, even in high school, you need to make sure that you are learning the knowledge, the knowledge, skills, and abilities, or acquiring the knowledge, skills, and abilities that you're going to need to hit the ground running when you get into the workforce. I've taught in college for over 17 years as a professor, and I can tell you this. You're attending college to get a degree, let's just say in business. You graduate, you have absolutely no skills. You walk into the work environment. How far do you think you're going to go? Some of the big issues, and if you read some of the, 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 the um, articles and interviews of managers and people in business, they're looking for a graduate to come to the table with some form of skill set. This is why it's important for you while you're in school to go through and go through internships, participate in and learn the skills, the industry jargon, the policies, procedures, process, how it works. That way, when you do graduate, you have a better chance of getting and retaining and advancing in an employment position where you possess the knowledge, skills, and abilities to help you grow. So if you're going to college, and let's say you're majoring in human resources as your 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 major is your major is business, and say your minor or your concentration is in human resources, and you are not and do not have a clue as to what the heck a human resource officer does, other than what you read in textbooks, you're putting yourself in a bad position. Take advantage of getting into internship programs, volunteering if you have to. At minimum, pick up the skill sets you need to function in that work environment. It'll make you a much more valuable employee in the workforce. So when it comes to thinking, think about what you're doing when you're getting your education. It's important. One thing I wanted to know, and we all know this, college is not for everyone. But it's important to remember that the education that you obtain should be one of quality. If you could decide not to go to college, you're going for a trade and a skill, make sure you learn as much as you can about that trade and skill and make yourself a valuable person to your employer. But when it comes to talking about colleges, what I was disturbed with seeing um, that maybe a month ago on some of the black social media, one of the black social media outlets on Facebook, discouraging black people from going to college, basically saying it's a waste of a time. That is a part of what I consider the dumbing down of America. 
if you're focused and you have a desire to go to, to get your college education, then you do it. You don't let anyone, anything stop you from achieving your goals. If you go back and listen to some of Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King's speeches and how eloquently he spoke and how eloquently he wrote, you'll see exactly what I'm talking about. So for those social media outlets that are black-based and that are pushing this propaganda and this crap, shame on you. It's a big shame on you and a big red X on your name for even saying that. And during the election time last year, and I'll talk more about this and we get into talking about uh, voting there was was the same issues, discouraging blacks from voting Democratic. Same thing is popping up again now on these same particular social media Facebook pages. So the bottom line of it is we have to learn to think for ourselves, to think on your feet. And when you think, I remember my um, husband's uh, dad used to always say, the worst nightmare for someone there's issues with black people. It's a black man that can think. You must learn how to think. You must learn to develop your analytical, your reasoning, your logic, and most importantly, those critical thinking skills. You will need them in life, regardless of what path you take. Whether you go to college or you go to a trade, you will need to know how to be a critical thinker, understand logic. You should be able to use analytical and critical thinking critical thinking skill sets. It's important because without being able to think and focus, you're holding yourself back. Listen to some of Dr. King's speeches and you understand exactly what I'm saying. If we're going to come together and organize strategically in unity, thinking is key. It's crucial because we've come to the point now where people are rising up. The masses are rising up. They're tired. They're fed up. They've had enough. In 1968, when the late Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King um, spoke, gave his last speech, when he's talking to the um, sanitation workers, one of the most poignant things that he noted in that speech was that, and I say this in quotes, the world is all messed up and the nation is sick, troubles in the land, and there's confusion all around. End quote. And it's to such a degree that we see similar issues happening now in the millennium. And if we don't take a stand now and unite across the board, because as I noted, the masses are rising up in record numbers. You see white, black, Asian, Latino, Indian rising up against the mess that we're living in. They're taking a stand because people are fed up and tired of the nonsense and the games and the crap that continues to drive this society. So it's so important to know how, when he noticed how the world is messed up, and we know that it is, how the nation is sick with issues of hatred and racism and religious persecutions and treating people of color differently and trying to roll back history and undo what was done for the protection and the benefit of the people of this country. And we start saying there's trouble in the land. We all know there's trouble in the land. And then with the confusion, with the dark. We see so many issues of police brutality, killing unarmed, innocent black men. We see how black women are treated disparately. And I argue up with the best of them. When it comes down to it, we all know the reality of what we live in is still, the society is still plagued so very much with racism. 
The media doesn't help it with their reporting, how they report things, whether it's good, bad, ugly, or whatever. So we are seeing so much go on in the millennium. Some of the very societal ills that Dr. the great late Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King pointed out in 1968, 50 years later, we are still seeing our society plagued by them. Something is wrong. We can't go backwards. We can't stand still. Now, while we have progressed, some of the very issues that he mentioned and how society was, why are we seeing them still in the millennium? So we have to come together in unity because if you think about it, if many of you really did stop, and we go back to this thinking thing again, if you really stopped to think about the direction this country is going in, it's, it'll stop you dead in your tracks because there's so much wrong in this world. There's so much wrong in America, but we can make it right if we focus on how we are advancing and living Dr. King's dream. The dream of society where all can live in equality. Well, you're not going to be judged or treated differently or disparately or whatever because of the color of your skin or how you look or who you love or where you come from. Enough of that is enough. And you would think people would get tired of it. Well, I'm tired of it. We're living in a sign of the time, as they always say, because here we are in the millennium. There's so much hate, you know, the murders, the violence, poverty, crime, drugs, um, destroying the black communities. And if you, any of you are old enough to remember your recall, years ago when they had the heroin, the crack epidemics in the black communities, it wasn't a major crisis. They do what methadone clinics for people who are on heroin. And the problem here is that when the black the drugs were infiltrating the black communities and destroying and taking so many young lives, it wasn't an epidemic. It wasn't a big issue. Today in the millennium, we see there are more non-people of color who are dying from drug overdoses and becoming addicts. Now, because it's not, it's no longer a majority people of color issue, now it can be addressed as a crisis. But where was the hope? When all of those thousands of young men and women who destroyed their lives, when they needed it, it didn't come in. I can say this to you. I love going to cemeteries. I love to walk through and look at the dates on the tombstones of when people were born and when they died. And I've noticed more and more, and just recently when my sister and I were there last week to put um, flowers down on our parents' graves, I saw entirely too many tombstones of young men and women who were born after me, who died too young, when they were in their t- early 20s and early 30s. To see 15 or more tombstones in one section of a cemetery of so many young people in an era was sad and heartbreaking. So we don't know how they passed away. Could have been illness, whatever. But the point I'm making is that when we start talking about the drugs destroying our communities, that's been something that's been happening. And it's not changing. When we look at the inequality, the racism, fighting, gang issues, failed education systems, murders of black people. Um, we have to do better in society. That, you know, for a society that embraces all people of color, 
with a focus on justice and equality. There are so many societal ills that we need, that, and they need to be addressed, guys, on many levels. So consider this, if you will. Other than the areas that I just mentioned earlier, think about this. The climate change issues, mental and physical health issues, how black people are reluctant and apprehensive of trusting the medical field for getting quality information or giving them the right um, diagnosis and so on, where there is there are disparities on how black people are treated with regard to pain when they go to a doctor's complaint about pain issues with the medical treatment and care and respect that they receive. You know, that's an issue. Socioeconomic issues, poverty, hunger, homelessness, the religious persecution, silencing of people, and shaming, among other issues. We've come so far, my friends, and yet we still have a long way to go. Just in order for us to live in a society that embraces all people. You know, with that quote, more perfect union thing, in quote, where is it? When we start looking and seeing numbers that just keep growing every year of young black men killed innocently, innocent, you know, killed, unarmed rather, black men killed by police officers. That's an issue that needs to be addressed. And I can tell you myself personally, um, my husband and I dealt with issues with the police when we moved to Jersey with how we were treated so nasty. So it made me believe without a shadow of a doubt that there's this sick stereotype that they have of black people of how they think we are or who we are. And that just kicks in and they see you because they were so nasty and rude to us. And we had been victims twice in Jersey. When we went to the police, they were of no help. They were nasty, rude. And all I could see was, wow, they lump us all together and they see a black or brown face and they're, what do you call it, kicks in and they react the way they believe they should act because of that stereotype. And I can recall and tell you this, so I understand black people's apprehension and concern and issues in dealing with police because we're two decent citizens walked in to get help and we were treated like crap. I remember one particular instance when I'm standing at the, you know, the glass partition there in the police station, and I'm asking the officer a question. He proceeds to think that he was going to start yelling and screaming at me as he turned beet red until I had to check him on his tone. And anybody who knows Dr. C, you know I will snatch you up on stuff. And I said to him, excuse me, but why are you yelling and screaming at me? I'm coming to you for help. And they were so nasty, but he changed his tone right after that. But it was the fact that it was just, they were so nasty and disrespectful and rude when they saw brown faces. And this is right in Jersey City, New Jersey. And it was a shame. That changed my view of police officers. Because you're supposed to help. You're not supposed to be victimized. Someone who's already been a victim of a crime or an issue. But... That, I can understand that apprehension. That has to change. Something has to be done to change the way how they treat black and brown faces, people of color in general. Because it is an issue and it needs to be addressed. And they have no fear if you say you're going to internal affairs. 
So what saved us in a particular instance was we councilman came by my house that particular afternoon. And I was friendly with him, and he came by, and I was telling him what happened. He made a phone call to the captain. Oh, go back. It'll be taken care of. And it was taken care of, but that never should have had to happen. That is the point I'm making, that black people are treated so disparately and so nasty because of racist issues that when they have to deal with police officers, it's already that wall is there because of the way they treat you. So that is something we need to look at into our society that needs to change. It's not going to change until we demand that they make a change. They need to have civilian review boards that are not appointed by any political individual. They need to have people who are able to review what they do and how they interact and act with, with the citizens. But there are too many of them from my experiences where in Jersey where they believed and thought they were above the law. That because they had a gun and a badge and you were a black or brown face, that they could treat you any way they wanted to. They lied in the police reports. They refused to correct them when they make mistakes. They become defensive, hostile, nasty, and angry. So somebody needs to explain to me how I, as a citizen, am supposed to feel comfortable or at ease dealing with someone who's charged with the task of protecting you, the citizen, and they're treating you in a hostile, nasty, disrespectful, rude, and racist manner. So there is an issue that needs to be addressed, a big issue. And when you look back at some of the footage of how black Americans were treated, when they were marching for just what they were entitled to, equal rights, to be treated right, equally across the board, to stop the injustices. And you see police officers turning dogs on people, beating them with batons, with having fire hoses, letting fire hoses loose on them. You know, it makes you wonder. Because in a sense for me, now this is for me guys, the treatment that we received here, no, we weren't physically assaulted or touched by the police, but that same mental thing is there where they believe the value of how they can treat, and this is not all police, it's some of them, it's some, treat black Americans is similar to me, I equated to what they did back then without the physical hoses, dogs, and batons, the, 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 the stereotypes, the negativity the hatred. So we have a long way to go with regard to that. There are too many issues, too many unarmed black men being killed. So for whatever reason, that's something that needs to be talked about. But see, what's happened is that the people are at a point in this country where they're tired. They're tired of the way they're being treated, the lack of respect, the inequality, the persecutions, the shaming, and the attempt to silence people who stand up and speak their truth into power. But one thing I must say that if you are going to rise up and you're going to speak your truth into power authentically and and unapologetically, you have to have a certain approach. One thing I do recall President Obama saying that yelling and screaming will get you nowhere. People tune you out. They're not going to listen when you're yelling and screaming about what you're demanding or what you want. 
Rather, you're talking calmly, standing firm in your convictions, and get your point across eloquently as what Dr. King did. That, I think, will get you somewhere. But it's all in how you are doing it. Now, remember, I'm the first person to tell you how we were treated terribly by the police in this city. But imagine this. If you have masses rising up and someone is, is, is filming this, not just the media, but even it's just the average guy who's a videographer filming this footage and saving it and getting it to the right outlets or uploading it online to show that different approach and see what happens, what can you lose? The point I'm making, guys, is that too much is happening. Too many people losing their lives. And too many people are getting acquitted. So we have to think and train. And it's just sad because as many black parents were saying a couple years ago, it's a shame that you have to sit down and have these types of conversations with your sons and daughters about encountering the police. Because it's something you parents had to have with your young children back during the civil rights era and before then because of how things were. So as the old saying goes, you know, as, you know, as much as it goes, as much as things change, they still remain the same. So that's an issue we need to talk about because we're living in a sign of the times. And when we see all the societal ills that need to be addressed on many levels and nothing's being done when we see the police, the issues with the police treating mainly black people and people of color as if they have no value and no worth and their lives mean nothing. And a simple settlement in a lawsuit is bringing that person back. So you know what they need to do? They need to change it so that anytime there is an issue where they shoot and kill an unarmed person, then it should come out of their pension money if the family gets paid it, paid anything. It has to be a change in the way things are done. You know, when you think about it and you consider and you go back and you look at the footage of what Dr. King and his colleagues and other black Americans went through, fighting just for the right to vote, to sit on a bus, to eat at a lunch counter, to drink out of a fountain. When you go back and think about it, it's heartbreaking because, like I said, we've come far, but we have still have a long, long way to go. And it seems at times, you guys, if you think about it, that the journey that we are on now is so much more treacherous now than it was, you know, now, especially if you think about it like this, because it's treacherous for black people because we are witnessing racism to such a degree and a magnitude where we see blacks and other people of color being treated disparately, mainly because of the color of their skin. It's to such a degree that these ills in society are actually have actually become psychological, emotional, physical, and social traumas and burdens that our children must bear. You know, these burdens are becoming heavier with each passing day. So we need to step up, take a stand now because our children's hopes will be lost. Their dreams will be deferred and the aspirations in life stagnated. And I know, just like you know, so much more can be done if we, in unity, you know, we come together in unity and make a difference because one of the key things you can't take away is when the masses come together and rise up, there is power in numbers. 
so much power. So we cannot afford to be silent about any of the societal ills that we see. Everyone has a different area that they focus in on, you know, as they advocate for. But one thing we cannot afford to do, guys, is like Dr. King noted, we can't be silent. Because the day we become silent about the things that matter, that's the day, you know, your lives end. And I'll quote it correctly. Dr. King stated, our lives begin to end the day we become silent about the things that matter. So we simply cannot be silent about the wrongs we see in society. We cannot be silent about inequality, injustices, racism, the colorism issues, hatred, disparate treatment, and prejudice issues of people because of who they love, because of their skin color, their ethnicity, or national origin. We cannot be silent about drugs destroying communities of color, high crime rates, you know, climate change issues, mental and physical health, socioeconomic issues, poverty, hunger, homelessness. We cannot be silent about religious persecutions, the silencing of those who speak their truths, and the shaming of others among other issues. We cannot be silent. I could not be silent, like I noted earlier in another show, on the Be the Change show, about the issues that are affecting girls and women of color, because they are real. Malcolm noted of how they disrespected, neglected, and unprotected. So, everyone has their unique calling, as I noted before, or area which interests you to advocate and to stand up. But as Dr. King noted, there's so much going on, where there's so much. So many issues on the table. There's so many challenges you're facing and dealing with. So much controversy that makes people so very uncomfortable. But one thing Dr. King noted was the ultimate measure of a man is not where he stands in moments of comfort and convenience when everything's peachy creamy and going good. But it's where he stands at the time of challenges, of challenge rather, and controversy. So, gang, my question is to you, to you is, what are you doing now when we are living in a nation that's, you know, it's so plagued with um, so many issues, so many ills, so many problems, so many racism um, issues flaring up every day, so many injustices and inequality and and damning of people because of who they are, who they love, or religious beliefs, so on and so on. So with so many challenges and controversies about the race, inequality, you know, with people of color, a movement for the people, by the people, is needed to save us from the sinking ship that we're on. It's the only way. Every man of being convictions must decide on the protest that best fits his, fits his convictions, as Dr. King noted. But we all must protest, end quote. You must stand up and take a stand. And it doesn't have to be a huge issue. It could be something small, something huge. It could be something in between. But you have a voice. Use it. Be heard. Just know that when you do what you do, when you step out to take a stand and advocate, advocate that you're going to get the enemies are going to come at you. Power to truth 
when you speak your truth authentically and unapologetically, when you are real, no matter what format you use or how you use your voice, rest assured you're going to have the enemies. But those enemies cannot stop you. They're not going to like you because you're real. And because, and if you are sincere in what you do and it comes from the heart, remember what Dr. King noted in his speech. Um, and this is the, um, the sanitation works. When he mentioned the mountaintop, he noted that you, when you, you start stay, taking a stand, you cannot stop and ask yourself and wonder, and I'm paraphrasing here, well, what's going to happen to if I go out and help A, B, C, or D, if I help them? What's going to happen to my job? What's going to happen to me if I help them? What will happen to me? But rather the question should be, what will happen if I don't help those who need the help? For those who need your voice, they need your talents, your skills, your hard work and perseverance. If you don't help them, who will? If you walk by and you say, well, I'm more concerned about me than you, so hey, what a, you know, I can't help you. Think about that individual who doesn't have that voice, who's not able to stand up and fight for him, him herself. At the end of the day, when all is said and done, we can't wait. And you have to remember, when people don't listen to your voice, then you hit them where it hurts financially. If we see so many issues in this country, Dr. King, know this, think about the Montgomery bus boycott, how they thought about the change that was needed. If they're not listening, they're not willing to change and bring about the change. You're not getting the support that we need to bring about the change for this society, for people to live in a just world on equal footing. Then you boycott the very businesses and products, hit them in the wallets. That Montgomery bus boycott brought about the change. It was successful. You do the same thing with politicians. And this and it's another thing. Hold them accountable and responsible to do what is needed to be done. We all know the crappy um, political nonsense they come out and hand you. They dish out when it's time, um, election time. They come and they walk up and down your blocks. They ring your doorbells. They're handing out their little flyers. You get so much mail. So much trash in you, you're sick of it. But here's the thing. They dish out a lot, but it's time to make them do their jobs. Because, you see, you don't hear or see from them except maybe once or twice a year. They do little email things, a little community events until it's election time and they come out of the woodworks. And they pull out, you know, it's time for change. You, we need to let those very individuals know if you're not going to do what you tell us you're going to do, if you can't be a man or woman of your word, if you can't address and bring to the table the issues that we have brought to your attention, then you need to vote them out. We have to get out and vote as people of color. We have to vote. There's this nonsense start up again in one of those social media platforms on Facebook where they're already saying to black people, oh, black people may not go for the Democratic vote. That's a bunch of you-know-what. We cannot afford to not vote. Yes, we know all politicians, Democrats, need to step up to the plate and hold and, and 
be held accountable and responsible and to do what we need them to do to save this is our communities. But my friends, if you don't vote, you're going to put us back into the situation we're in right now, which we're trying to get out of. So you need to make sure when it's time to go out and vote, you let them know I'm voting for you. I'm holding you accountable, responsible, and then you ride them like a cowboy rides a horse to hold them to live up to what they promise or to address the issues. Remember, we have the power. And even once they are in office, and if things aren't well in your community, then you stand up like Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King taught us to do. You stand up. You come together in unity. You get the community people together. Decide how you're going to organize strategically. And I vote what is called, indeed, it takes a village. Strategic community planning by the people, for the people. And it's the first series. And I hopefully I'll have that out by June. It should be published by June. And it'll be available for purchase. But in this strategic community planning by the people, for the people, it just simply tells you point blank how to come together, organize, put together your task forces, invite these politicians to your community meetings, give them your demands, a list of issues you need them to address. And then you say to them, how are you going to address them? What are you going to do about this issue? What timeline are we looking at with you? Where do you stand or what is your position on this particular issue? You have to hold them accountable and responsible. And then you ride them, like I said, like a cowboy rides a horse. If you have to call, email, write letters, go to the offices, hold them accountable. That is the problem now. They're not held accountable. And you only see them surface in the community when they want your vote. And we all know that game that they play. We need real politicians who are for the people, by the people, interested in moving things forward in the communities that they represent. If they can't do that, if they're only interested in the political gaming and getting ahead politically and saying the heck with the people once they're in office, then we do have a problem. So we need to make sure we hold these politicians accountable to do what they're supposed to do. It's called the community empowerment. You know, Dr. King noted that together in unity, how we could do so much more. He also noted how Pharaoh kept the slaves fighting at each other to keep them distracted. But when the slaves came together, they knew it would be all over with. So we need to focus in on that. We need to focus on our family values, on the unity that we need to see there and stop this blasted infighting among ourselves. One of the big issues and one of the reasons why we keep holding ourselves back is this constant infighting among us. For what? Where is it getting you? The jealousy, the insecurities, there's too much of that. Other groups will come together and two people may not like each other, but guess what? They will work together for the good of the entire group. And they go their separate ways when they're done. But in unity, they will and have come together to do what needs to be done without the backstabbing. So that's what we need to focus in on. And know this, that once you do get involved, once you decide to take a stand and continue advancing 
and living Dr. King's dream to bring about the change that we need to see in this society. It's not about you then. It's about what you're doing for others, as Dr. King noted. Once you dedicate and you start that journey to advance and live the dream, there's no going back. You have to understand that. But you must be in it for the right reasons. It's not about you. It's not about grandstanding. It's not about you making a name for yourself to see on billboards and newspapers or TV. Your work becomes your baby. You become the mother. And it's just like that. You, this is your newborn. You coddle. You love. You nurture. You help it grow. You love it. It, it becomes you like practically consumes you because they're late night hours. This is this is your passion and this is what you're doing to bring about the change. It's like Dr. King noted, quote, not everybody can be famous, but everybody can be great because greatness is determined by service. You only need a heart full of grace and a soul generated by love. Go ahead and do what you do because it's ingrained. It's ingrained so deeply in the inner fabric of your being that when you stand up and you start advocating and you start trying to work with others others in unity to advance Dr. King's dream, you'd be amazed at what you can do and how far you can go. But you have to be sincere, honest, forthright. You have to have some integrity, have integrity, point blank. Because you're helping others, you're lending a, giving a helping hand. And Dr. King's, I've been to the mountaintop. In his speech, um, his last speech in Memphis, when he gave that speech, and I, and I noted this earlier, how you have to think about what's going to happen to the people who you, if you don't do what you, you, you don't continue doing what you're doing if you don't step out to help them. This is why we have to do what we need to do to be the voices of those who don't have a voice, who can't speak for themselves, who just don't know, who can't see the hidden dangers as a result of flawed realities. Or for some, the realities just won't allow them to see it. You know, we can all become filled with an array of emotions and feelings as we look at the issues because they're so very real. We see our young people suffering. We see how our black girls are being treated, other girls and women of color, black women are treated, how men. We see communities that need so much more. And we also need to start holding the black churches accountable and responsible too. You go there on Sunday mornings and you tithe and you put in the offering plate. But what is the pastor of that church doing for you and your community? Is there a state-of-the-art after-school community center that your children can go to? Will it keep them off the street and out of trouble? Let's talk about the politicians again. Have you said to them that you need a community center? with offering programs other than recreation because little black boys and little black girls need to be focusing on developing the intellectual skill sets they're going to need in life. They don't need to be playing and boxing and recreation all day long. Activity is good. They need to move. Yes, they do. But come on, people. Our children need to be learning to read and write well. 
to explore, think about their futures and careers. Life is not all fun and games. We need to teach them that. But every black person out there should have a problem with these inner city community centers that put your kids in them and just want them to play and recreation. How is that helping your child get ahead? Where is the reading of library books? Where are, you know, learning about the solar system, learning, you know, the planets, learning about the environment, focusing on STEM issues. There's a commercial with Michael, um, with um, LeBron James and a couple other sports. I think it's LeBron James. I may be wrong. It might be Michael Jordan. And I think it's Michael Jordan. And in this commercial, they talk about we don't need another Michael Jordan or whoever it is, LeBron James. We don't need another sports person. We need our young kids to be going into focusing into areas that are going to help, that will help them excel in life. It's great. Every parent may want their son to play sports, to be a football or basketball player. But what happens if he doesn't make it or he gets cut? And he gets an injury. So we need to make sure that our young children are learning, that they're growing, that the intellectual skill sets are being peaked, that they know they are black history. So when you go and say to your politicians, your mayors, your councilmen, whoever, they have community centers set up, but they're not for personal use, for you to push whoever's running your personal Pet projects, it's for the community. What are these community centers doing? Are they offering programs for your children after school? If they're not, why haven't you challenged them on this? Why haven't some of you gone in there to start the program? Blow it up. Make a big issue about it. When I say blow it up, I mean, you know, make a big thing about it. Because it is your community. These are your children. They are our future. If we don't prepare these young black kids to deal with the real world, to be leaders, to have intellectual skill sets that they can apply to learn to think critically, we won't see future Martin Luther Kings out there. Think about how eloquent Dr. King was in his speech. In his writings, how he presented himself. So there's so much that we have to do. And as Dr. like Dr. King noted, we have to realize a change will only come when we stand together. We have to come together in unity and hold people accountable and responsible to do what needs to be done to bring about the changes we need in our communities. When Dr. King Toward the end of his speech, when he talked about he'd been to the mountaintop and he'd seen the promised land. When Curtis Mayfield, I noted this earlier, with his song, People Get Ready Because the Train is Coming, where people can get on board and, you know, picture this. When Dr. King refers to, I've been to the mountaintop and I've seen the promised land. The promised land for us could possibly be where people live in peace. And, you know, there's unity, there's justice for all and equality, where everyone from all, you know, can go to a destination where people from all ethnicities, races, religions, colors, national origins, and sexual orientations seriously commit to living together and working together in unity 
in a society where they all have equal opportunity to reach higher ground and live fulfilling lives. When Dr. King talks about he went, he's been to the mountaintop and he's seen the promised land, that is what I would envision our promised land as being. I would envision our promised land as being the place where there'll be equality for all people, regardless of where they come from or how they look. Where people of color are visible, valuable, and valued and embraced. Well, children will attend, will attend schools that are diverse and provide a quality education where the lives of people of color matter. So when you talk about thinking rather about what Dr. King envisioned as the promised land, imagine this place where, the, where illicit drugs, crime, and gangs will be banished where every person, regardless of their race, color, national origin, sexual orientation, religious beliefs, gender, age, or weight will be embraced. To be culture of all people of color valued and accurately reporting in learning or educational material. Where the religious beliefs, customs, and traditions of all people of color are respected. Where the music lifts and inspires everyone to keep on keeping on. Where people have the right to identify as they choose without labels and categories. When you talk about Dr. King uh, saying he's been to the mountaintop and he's seen the promised land, you know, you can envision it as being where people live somewhere where they can actually say that public shaming is deemed shameful. Where people are consumed with environmental and climate change to such a degree that they really take action. Where the political and administrative leaders truly represent the diversity of the people that they serve and they work for the good of the people to make society and world a better place. So when he says we, he's been to the mountaintop and he's seen the promised land, the promised land could be where racists and bigots and hate mongers will be banned. Where people and color are not people, where race rather and color are not progressive for Friendship, love, value, or self-worth. So when we start looking at all this, when we start looking at Dr. King's dream, advancing his dream, and moving us forward in society, there's so much work to be done. But remember, the key is we have to do it in unity. We have to come together. We have to do it now, not later. Time is of the essence. It's time for people to get on board. When Curtis Mayfield talks about people get ready, really, are you ready to get on board? Are you ready to advance and live Dr. King's dream to keep it alive and move it forward? What can you bring to the table? You don't have to be an expert. You don't have to be the person who knows it all. It's just the fact that you are rising up to join with the masses to be a part of the change we need. You see, if we don't start being really, and I mean this really serious, and focusing on the real issues that we're dealing with in this society, if you don't stop and then you get a chance to just observe some of our young people and what they go through every day, the young people who live in poverty, we owe them every opportunity to rise above their situations and to become all that they can be in life. We owe it to them to help pave that path for them 
or rather correction, continue paving that path and Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King started and continue building that foundation up for them so that they can become what they dream of becoming. We have to show our young girls in the community and, and young men that living in, the, in an inner city or in a poverty-stricken area isn't the end of the road for them. That they can do so much better and have so much more through hard work, perseverance, and they need a support system. This is where the village comes into play. So, my friends, it's like this. It's of urgent that we get up, we rise up together. And as Dr. King noted, if you can't fly, then run. If you can't run, then walk. If you can't walk, then crawl. But whatever you do, you have to keep moving forward to make this world a better place, end quote. You have to come together, folks, and unite for the greater good. And it's so important for all of us to remember that no matter what happens, where we go, no matter what we do in life, we have to think about what is going on, how can we help our young people get to where they need to to be. And like I noted, we need to ask ourselves what we're doing to advance to live Dr. King's dream in the millennium. We can't remain silent, and we know this. We also know that an individual, as Dr. Queen King noted, I love this quote, an individual has not started living until he can rise above the narrow confines of of his individualistic concerns to the broader concerns of all humanity. That is why I noted earlier, if you're going to be in it, you have to be in it from your heart for the real reason, because it's not about you. If you have a heart full of grace and a soul generated by love, then you need to step up and help be a part of the change needed to help advance and live Dr. King Street. That's what I have for you guys tonight. And here's, in closing, I want to say this before. Remember, with the call for submissions for the anthology, Our Voices, Our Stories, that will close on May 31st. It will be published regardless of how many submissions we have. Also, the Journal of Colorism Studies put out Volume 3, Issue 1, on the 30th of March. It is available for viewing and reading at jocsonline.org. The next call, the next volume of the Journal of Colorism Studies will be coming, will be published, I believe it's May or June, I forgot the date again. And the new call for submissions will open up on the 9th. So my friends, I want to leave you all with this. As best I can say it, remain strong in your convictions. Um, it's important that you do that. Remain strong in your convictions, beliefs, and values. Speak your truth unapologetically. Take a stand on matters of great importance. Define yourself for yourself. Live with purpose, love with great passion. Be your inspiration because that power is indeed within. You have a voice, so be heard. Remember, it's all about us coming together in unity to advance and live Dr. King's dream. I leave you all with this. Have a great week.
Good night, everyone.